Yeah, come with me, sir. Arrested, jail, go to jail. You're going to jail. You're going to go to jail. Right to jail, right away. You're driving too fast, jail. Slow, jail. Chris, this was tame. This was No, it's not tame. This is not tame. Just wait. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I. Uh, stop doing this. Jake. No, no, nope. We're You're going to what? You're going to redo it? <sighs> no, it's fine. Stop. All right. That's oh. the last one. I, I was trying you promise? it out. I was trying it out. It didn't work last week. Pause for dramatic effect. It wasn't explosive at all. That was not. But this episode is. All right. So I'm excited. I'm trusting Chris, you. You know nothing about this story. You know nothing about what we're talking about. Nothing, which means I'm going to have an inordinate amount of questions. Which is great, because I went down all of the various rabbit holes that I came across on the path of this story. All right, well, let's go. Let's do this. Let's get right to it. This is probably one of the craziest stories I've heard in a long time. That's saying a lot, considering the stuff that we've talked about. I know. I mean, and that's a bold claim. It's once again, kind of one of those cases where I stumbled upon some like bits of history or it might have started with like a photo. And I go, what the hell is that? Yep. And there's no way that actually happened. And in this instance, boy, was I wrong. It's uh, this happened and it's absolutely bonkers. But before I get ahead of myself, I want to set the stage a little bit. For okay. Our story. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. This is Norman Greenwald. Uh, I always think of uh, I always think of Apollo 13 when I hear this song and the little radio. And then pretty soon it's like, yeah, exactly. So it's for good reason you think of Apollo 13. This is the 1960s. All right, we're talking about. Okay, it's one of the most tumultuous and divisive decades in America's history and the world's, for that matter. The Vietnam War. The civil rights movement, yep. Woodstock, the Kennedy assassination, counterculture, and the space race. And Gene Middlebrooks Jr. was a man growing up right in the midst of it all. A native of Jonesboro, Georgia, Gene went on to study mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech. He was said to be a, quote, damn fine M.E., a mechanical engineer, according to a former colleague. Quote, he had an innovative mind and could solve just about any mechanical problem. He graduated college right in the thick of the Cold War. And that is, I just was thinking to myself, that's not me. No. I just make mechanical problems worse. That's true. We, we established <laughs> that earlier this week. Yeah, yeah you definitely do. Um, so here he is, Gene. He graduated right in the thick of the Cold War and landed a job with the aerospace contractor Martin Marietta. Martin Marietta. Yeah, Martin Marietta. Yeah, we'll go with that. Working on the Pershing Project. Okay, I have never heard of this thing. What is the Pershing yep, okay, Project? Okay, moving on. No, what is <laughs> Okay, uh, yes. So this is first rabbit hole okay. number one. So to understand this program, we need to step back and look at world politics. In November. Of the 60s. Well, where are we going? A little bit further back. Okay. In November, you're asking the time, and I'm literally telling you the Tell time. Tell me the time. November of 1956. Okay. 30,000 Soviet troops marched into the Soviet satellite country of Hungary, quelching the government's attempt to dissent from the Soviet Union. Sounds familiar. Yes, it does. Witnessing these actions from across the Iron Curtain, U.S. officials feared that Soviet aggression could spill into NATO countries and acted to form a defensive deterrent. Should any member of NATO be attacked, they declared, the United States would be forced to respond with a large-scale nuclear strike. Jesus. This is effectively the start of the nuclear arms race right here. However, in order to enforce the strategy, a new weapon system I can't believe we're still racing in this. Needed. You know, you think the Cold War is over? I feel like it just was like sleeping for a little bit. Yeah, just, ever heard of the uh, Ukraine? Yeah, man. Yeah, I know. So the Department of Defense authorized the Army's Ballistic Missile Agency to develop just such a weapon. A new solid propellant nuclear missile to replace its existing and aging Redstone missiles. Now, do you know... Is solid propellant, is that the same thing I'm using in my model rockets when I was building as a kid? 
Uh, technically, yeah. yeah, because it's a solid did defense. You ever, do you ever build those when you were Oh, kid? all of them. So fun. Yeah. That was the best and part did, ever. Did, yeah, the two dual stage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You yeah. had to have multi-stage rockets. I, I really wanted the triple stage, but that one was like expensive you remember and the, really big. remember the Big Bertha? I do remember Big Bertha. Yeah. Oh, my God, I didn't. <laughs> that was a memory that came out of nowhere. Yep. And you like, just said that. And the Patriot? Yes. The Patriot it was, was white like, with red letters or something. It absolutely was. Oh, Estes. Yes. Estes model I, so I rockets. Built, built one of those with uh, my daughter, Irene. Yeah. What's ah, she think? Probably years ago. Yeah. Awesome. You yeah. go out there, she hits the button. Oh, great Super times. Cool. If you haven't done that, if you haven't built a model rocket with your kids, it's awesome. Yes. You can decorate it and do all kinds of fun stuff. Anyway. Okay. Continue. So the DOD needs How many, a new what is, missile. Sorry. What percentage of NASA engineers... Do you think played with model rockets as a kid? 100%. It's got to be up there. It's got to be like 99 out of 100. Uh, Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, Yes. So do your kid a favor. You're right. (laughs) If you want them to even have a fleeting chance of being. I wonder if that's on the application. Played with played with model rocket rocket toys as a child. 100%. Check mark. Without that, the machine learning kicks it right out. Did you ever like advance to taking those engines and putting them in other things? Oh, yes. Like, yeah, taking an old plastic car or something. Yep. Yep. Model and putting it in the back. Yep. I buried them. I did all kinds of just experimentation stuff. (laughs) Oh, did you have the big styrofoam glider? Oh, yes, absolutely. With and the then wings you put, that come off? Yeah, but I then did. you put those on the styrofoam glider. I never did that. Yeah, and it just melts it and starts burning, <laughs> and it's bad. <laughs> you ever, you ever, what I did with one of those is I had, like, a coffee can full of gasoline. Oh, God. And you just put styrofoam in it? Yeah, that yeah, homemade napalm. Yeah, homemade napalm. Oh, I remember that's that. what the anarchist cookbook told me I was making. Yes, <laughs> I remember that was, like, a wise tale in high school, like, yeah. or middle school, I suppose it be. It's kind of gooey, flammable. Yeah, and yeah. you throw that stuff, and yep. it'll stick. And yep, including yourself. Terrible. Yep, not great. Terrible. Okay, so we need a new missile program. The DOD reaches out, and many aerospace contractors put together proposals for the project. Most prepared complex presentations with really complicated slides and detailed handouts look more like volumes of an encyclopedia, right? They're going in this room and handing out these big books about here's what we propose. However, one firm, the Martin Company, came bearing only a piece of chalk and a brilliant plan. I like it. Sid Stark was a skilled engineer. I just realized the guy's name is Stark. From Stark Industries? Right. Like that totally fits. I, wonder, I bet that that's a is throwback. That, you I think bet, there's a little... Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a homage there. I, you, you must be right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Sid Stark was a skilled engineer and a quiet man, which struck me as an odd combination to be selling a room full of government bureaucrats on a billion-dollar contract, right? You're going to send just the quiet, complacent The quiet dude. meat guy. Yeah. yeah, not the sales bro. I don't think that was a thing in the 60s, but regardless, that's for sure. uh, Sid's tactics worked. He entered the room, approached the blackboard, and drew a simple sketch of a missile with a sharply pointed nose with a design that met all of the committee's requirements. The missile would be easily transportable by helicopter or aircraft, durable enough to withstand extreme weather conditions, and capable of being fired at a moment's notice. How do you draw this on a chalkboard? He basically drew a sketch. He's like, the whole point, I think, of or what set this part is like, I'm going to keep it simple. Like, every one of these firms is big enough, like Lockheed Martin, you know, all the big names. Yeah. Anyone can make a rocket to your specs, right? Yes. We can do the same. And we're going to keep it simple and say we can do that. But here's what sets us apart. Okay. Okay. So he's he drew the sketch. He goes, yes, we can do it, obviously. And it'll meet all these criteria. The key to the proposal was that the company had recently built a 500,000 square foot ultra-modern plant in what was then a small, sleepy town by the name of Orlando. This was perfectly positioned between the Army's key installations at Cape Canaveral and Huntsville, Alabama. The Martin Company stated that the cost savings of assembling the missile in Orlando, less than 50 miles from Cape Canaveral, would be impossible for the government to ignore. Sure, you can go with any of these and we'll all make a rocket, but we're literally near back door. And we're ready to go with Come a brand over. new production facility. Bring a pie. It's the 50s. And so it was this project that our newly graduated Gene Middlebrooks was tasked to work on. The first version, dubbed the Pershing One, had a range of 400 miles. So when I think that. of, I just want when I think of a nuclear missile. Yes. Nuclear warhead. Yes. I think of, and stop me if I'm getting ahead of, of the game. Okay. Which I do, do almost every single time. Yes, you do. The rocket goes up. Uh-huh. The, the warhead comes apart. 
and all the like five or six different little warheads that are in there come down and go to their strategic locations. Is this, that where we're at here? Yeah, or is this, 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 this a single, single, single warhead? Um, I don't have a good way of showing you photos. It's a missile. Got it. Yeah. It's just like, it is a model Estes rocket that you're picturing, yep. but bigger. Yes. Got it. Very, it is rocket. It is rocket. Dictionary picture of rocket yep. is the that. nose cone is where the warhead is. Yep. It's a single warhead and it just basically goes into the ground and explodes. Yep. Well, it probably explodes above the ground. Yes, it does. You're right. Okay. So the first version is this. The Pershing 1 had a range of 400 miles, which is twice that of the previous Redstone missiles that they're trying to replace and improve. When on. I think of that in terms of today, I go, ooh, that's terrible. Right. But I guess if it's twice. It's, it was pretty good at the yeah. time, right? And so this was due in large part to Martin's use of a solid propellant, which we talked about, which was easier to handle, safer, and more reliable than any sort of liquid fuel. Over the following decades, the Pershing program became America's primary deterrent against the Soviets. The same aggressions by the Soviets that had played out in Hungary were now, however, repeating themselves a decade later in Czechoslovakia. So how does this work? What do you think? The citizens of Prague knew the full meaning of occupation by force. The Russians, while supposedly their allies, were not wanted. The fighting spirit of many Czechs was aroused. They retaliated against overwhelming power. But it showed the free world, and Russia too, that their desire to shape their own destiny was stronger even than the heaviest tank or the biggest gun. This was the scene three days ago, when during the night of 20th and 21st of August, Soviet tanks rolled into Czechoslovakia and by morning were in the capital, Prague. Soviet aircraft, pretending to be in trouble, were allowed to land at the airport. They seized it. Units from East Germany, Hungary and Poland have joined the invasion of their ally. Many Czechs came out on the streets to try to persuade the Russian soldiers that they were attacking and crushing their brother communists. Others, particularly students, tried force. Tanks were bombarded with petrol bombs. Yesterday, the Czech Communist Party condemned the invasion. Okay, sounds like Russia. Yep, so the same damn thing is happening so when, again. So when Putin talks about recreating the Soviet Union of the past, this is what he's just basically living in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, what I was going to ask you is, what does this look like when you come up with a missile like this? Do you just kind of like unzip and show everybody the missile? <laughs> what? Like, like, what do you do? Just like it's a deterrent. Yep. Let me tell you right now. Okay. So this happened in Czechoslovakia, right? And in all, 500,000 Soviet troops marched into the country under the Brezhnev Doctrine, Brezhnev, which stated yeah. that no Eastern European country would be allowed to reject communist ideals. Wonderful. Soviet yeah. doctrine. Oh, you don't allow it? Boom. We're coming in. Yeah, communism communism's awesome. In response, U.S. and Martin Marietta officials developed the new Pershing II model, which it deployed right along the wall in Germany. Mm. This second-generation missile possessed a range of 1,500 miles. Do they just, like, wheel it up on a cart and be like, eh, 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 With the missiles literally staring them down over the wall, the Soviets had no choice but to sign one of the most sweeping nuclear missile reduction treaties in history. Years later, President George H.W. Bush, then as a vice president, stated that, quote, if we had not deployed Pershing, there would not be the treaty and subsequent peace that we have today. I just, I hate that it's this tick-tack, tick-tack, back and forth, back yep. and forth. They said the Pershing project was a peace project. They never wanted to use it, as is, of course, the case with nuclear weapons, mutually assured destruction. Yep. But without it, the Soviets would not had a reason to back down there. The only, uh, what do they say? The only game, the way to win the game is to not play. Correct. Is what this comes down to. And that's because you were just watching that I was movie. watching war games with Matthew <laughs> Roderick the other day with the kids. Oh, and man. the only way to win is not to play at the end of the, at the end of the movie, the machine, spoiler alert, the, the machine <laughs> for a movie that old, the machine basically plays tic-tac-toe with itself till it melts down. 
because it's, it sees that there's a, uh, uh, it can't win. Like yeah. you can't win playing tic-tac-toe. It's a fake game. And as, when, at some point when you're a kid, you realize this, right? Sure. And you don't want to play tic-tac-toe anymore. And then it applies the same logic to nuclear warfare. Right. And there's like bombs going off all over the play and the simulation, like starts to speed up. Yep. And then it's like, the only way to play is not to win. The only way to win is to it's, not to play. The, oh, well, yeah. The only way to win is not to play. And yeah, that's basically what we're doing here. The problem is that we're going back and forth and back and forth. And the stakes are just getting higher and higher yeah. and higher. Well, it, I forget what the stats are, but it's like the world possesses or even the U.S. possesses enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world like 15 times over. Yeah. It's yeah. You know what? So that that's. We just need, we need AI to just take care of this for us. Oh, that seems like a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It is not a terrible idea though. Petrolbox? Petrolbox, my friend. It's a multi-service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month they select items like tools, publications, detailing supplies, garage gear, apparel, hats, stickers, all to be sent right there to your doorstep. 10 millimeter sockets. Yes, 10 millimeter sockets. I think we got like four different 10 mils and I probably only have like two left. Regardless, they carefully select items that I listed just there and it's curated selection. Latest, greatest in the industry. There's two different levels to choose from, Chris. Yep. Something for everybody. Great gift. One at 20 bucks a month and the Petrobox Premium gets you a lot more gear for $39.95 a month. Go ahead and check them out. MyPetrolBox.com. Be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get your $6 off. Right on. Okay, so the Pershing program, as we found out, was instrumental in the Cold War crisis. But that's not the focus of our story, Chris. You see, the missile's true effectiveness was its range made possible by the solid fuel monopropellant, something that Gene Middlebrook took note of. Who's Gene Middlebrook? That was the guy that we started talking about. Oh, okay. Okay. Out of college, and they came to work for this yep, thing. Got it. Yep. So this is this is called a throwback now. Okay. We're going back to the story. Got it. Gene didn't seem to be a massive auto enthusiast himself. There was no over any record of him entering any races, nor any mention of exciting cars that he owned. But being a mechanical engineer in the 60s, he certainly had a mind towards cars. How could you not? Right. Yeah. Like, think of your, your heroes probably at the time working in aerospace, the astronauts. Chevrolet gave them all Corvettes. Oh, yeah. Such a cool program. Great marketing. We'll talk about later. Great marketing program. But it's, you know, it's hot rod culture. It's the 60s. You're a mechanical engineer. You at least appreciate these things. And apparently Gene did, because at the age of 25, he applied for his first U.S. patent, which was titled simply as a supercharger for internal combustion engines. And while superchargers were nothing new, the first patent for him went back to like 1922, I believe, uh, Gene's design was based on a very novel concept. So all existing forced induction was, and still is for the most part, parasitic. That is to say that they require engine power to create positive intake pressure, aka boost. Did you see Garrett's new electric supercharger? Yes, I'll get there. Okay. You're way ahead of me. All right. My, my, my Superchargers. Bad are driven, actually have more facts about that than you probably know. Superchargers are driven via the crankshaft rotation, and turbochargers are, of course, driven by exhaust pressure. Gene Middlebrook's 1958 patent was driven by a 12-volt DC electric motor, completely independent of the main combustion engine. And while ingenious, it was impractical. The drain on the battery, or in this case, additional batteries, was immense, not to mention the weight of lead-acid batteries in the 1960s. Now, yeah, ironically, there's just no way they just. Yeah. It, it, as you were talking about, though, this concept has regained momentum. And I'm not talking, I, I have to put this out there. You remember the cheesy electric powered, basically, fans? Yes. You could mount and get them at like Pep Boys? Yep. That's not what we're talking about. No, these are for real. Since 2000, 2014, did you know that all Formula One cars utilize a fist, 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 fist? Wow. <laughs> I just had a stroke. <laughs> I just had a micro stroke there. <laughs> Holy crap. All Formula One cars since 2014 utilize a sophisticated hybrid turbocharger system with an 800-volt motor sandwiched between the turbine and compressor housings. So this is how the they use the recovery system and the battery for passing and all this stuff also so, incorporated into this, yes, I imagine? Yes, they do still have what I call more a traditional hybrid system where there's an electric motor actually driving the transmission. Yep. But this is in addition to that. Okay. So this system keeps the turbo spinning and creating boost even when off-throttle, giving zero boost leg. 
never lagged. The system is so effective that Mercedes has launched the first streetcar to use this technology just last year in the C43 AMG. So this, you can now buy a streetcar with an electric By definition, turbocharger. it's not really an electric, any electric turbocharger should just be considered a supercharger, right? No, because it's still, it's still a turbocharger as you think of it. It still runs off of exa- exhaust gases. Okay, so this just. But sandwiched between the it. turbine housing and the compressor is an electric motor. So it just spins the. Yeah, and the streetcar version runs off of 48 volts, which is the same system as like automatic start stop, yep. you know? And so, yeah, it basically just spools it up when there's not exhaust pressure to keep boost. Got it. However, back in the late 50s, the concept just didn't work. And so, as Gene continued working on the Pershing Missile Project, he suddenly... Are there there turbo missiles? He suddenly had a revelation, Chris. Are there missiles with superchargers? No. Other way around. Okay. His second patent, drive control means for a turbo compressor unit granted in 1960, was described as a, quote, gas-driven supercharger for an internal combustion engine for which the gas that derives the turbine is supplied either by the exhaust of the internal combustion engine or by supplemental generating means. Uh And when it came to generating supplemental gases, Middlebrooks knew there was nothing like a solid fuel rocket motor. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i'm imagining how this works okay continue oh my god this is two good. years later in 1962 gene had a prototype of his device cast in a connell 7113c alloy very expensive and the company and what alloy what alloy is this 7113c a connell i don't know what that means is that steel no it's a it, in connell it's, a, it's an alloy. It's used usually in like jet engines, rockets. Sometimes okay. the actual uh, compressor wheel of a modern turbocharger is made out of a Connell. Okay. It's Just very heat, heat resistant. Yep. It's strong. It's light. It's like titanium, but handles heat. Got so it. I guess how I could describe it. So he has a, a prototype of this thing built and he what establishes. Where does the fuel go? How does this work? Oh, dude. Dude, just wait. <laughs> he establishes his company. And the legend of Turbonique was born. Okay. I like the name. Gene marketed the invention as the Turbonique AP Supercharger or Auxiliary Power Supercharger. Visually, the thing looked like a giant turbocharger with a spark plug integrated into the housing. The system was meant to be engaged with a simple dash-mounted switch similar to early nitrous oxide systems. However, that's where the comparison ends. Why didn't he just run it off a micro switch when you go full throttle? It might be both. Well, I'll tell you why, because it's just on or off. Okay. Yes. So when the driver threw the switch of a Turbonique system, the supercharger unit would receive pure liquid oxygen for ignition and then was fed a rocket fuel named Thermoline. I'm really surprised that this didn't really make it into consumer cars (laughs) that are going to get groceries. Just wait. Oh my God, it gets so much worse. Okay, so Thermoline was his trade name. Can you imagine putting like a thing of groceries right next to the tanks full of like pure oxygen? No, it's so much worse, Chris. Okay. It's so much worse. Okay, Thermoline is N-propyl nitrate. It is literally a rocket fuel. Got it. This self-contained jet turbine would spin the impeller up to 100,000 RPM where the compressor wheel would pull air through two massive Stromberg carburetors with their throttle plates completely removed. (laughs) There's no point in throttling it in front of this machine. No. Because you just need mixture. Yep. This system had no modulation. Just all the mixture. No modulation. As far as I can tell, there's also no off button. So once the system was ignited, you simply burned through the cartridge of solid fuel, ramming the engine with such intense boost pressure that it was said to literally change the behavior of the combustion cycle, effectively making it into a giant two-stroke. This Uh, was because... What boost pressures are we talking about here? Just wait. (laughs) We don't actually know, but it... Just wait. Can I buy this? Yes. (laughs) What? What? Yes. Okay. I can install this on my vehicle? Mm, The fuel will be hard to come by, but you can still find them on eBay. No kidding. For a ton of money. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So um, a lot of them didn't survive, we'll say. Okay. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So 
the system had no modulation. I already talked about this. You basically are making the engine into a giant two-stroke. Yeah, now, just, what, what, what does that mean? It's because the boost pressure was so intense that it would overcome the spring pressure of the intake valves. So every single stroke of the cylinder would receive boost. Okay. Even if the cam isn't opening the cylinder, there's so much pressure behind it, or open the valve, there's so much pressure, it would just push more volume in. Jesus. So... This is awesome. Yes. Turbonique dyno-tested one of these insane AP units on a brand new Chevy 409 V8 in 1963. The stock horsepower of that motor is impressive. It's 405 horsepower. Yeah, damn. They recorded on the dyno with this machine attached to it and nothing else, 835 horsepower. Jesus. More than doubling. Can you imagine showing up to the track and say, what do you got under the hood? Pop the hood, and there's this other thing with its own Stromberg carburetors on it. Yeah. Come so on. as did anybody did anybody take this thing to the truck? Yes, I okay. have audio. Okay. As absolutely bonkers as this was, it was simply ordered through a catalog and money order. Massive turbine engine, such to make sure your connecting rods exit the atmosphere on sure. one page. That's the, all. They're turbonique. Uh huh. The other page. A, a Mossberg shotgun, a Remington 870, yeah. turn the page. Like, what else? Could you, I mean, it's yeah. just everything a it's guy could ever want. It's only a postcard order away. Oh, and let's not forget the actual rocket fuel that would also be delivered to you and your doorstep by your friendly neighborhood postman. Why were we so much more tr- trustworthy in the 50s and 60s? You can't order jet fuel anymore. No! No, you cannot, Chris! But back then, no problem. Have some jet fuel. By the gallon. But, they sold it by the gallon, Chris. This is incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. $3.50 a gallon. Perfect. Just shows up on your doorstep. So the problem is, is that it runs till it's out of fuel. Mm-hmm. So do you have like a valve that you, like if you wanted to? You, yes. My understanding is there is a fuel stop valve. Okay. So you would yes. just hit the fuel but stop valve. But there is, again, no modulation. It's all or nothing. Right. So you got to be ready. And you can't turn it back on after you've turned it off. Why? We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. And by a minute, I mean a while. We have Several other rabbit holes that I discover along the way. Okay, I'm okay. ready. But if if you're paging through that magazine in 1960, popular mechanics, popular mechanics, and you see this thing, you're not quite sold yet. Maybe right. Well, uh, how are you not? Why not send out for a complimentary Turbonique record to hear a demo? What? Turbonique Incorporated of Orlando, Florida, is the manufacturer of a unique line of propulsion equipment. Their product line includes automotive superchargers. To start the engine, fuel is simply injected into the combustion chamber and ignited. Ignition can be accomplished in the absence of oxygen by using a high-energy blow plug. However, Turbonique prefers the more reliable and quicker starting resulting from an oxygen assist spark ignition system. With this system, oxygen is applied to the combustion chamber for only a fraction of a second each time the turbine is started. Once started, the engine will continue to run without further oxygen or air. Since most persons are not familiar with the operating sounds of such unconventional engines, their recorded sounds are presented on this record for the convenience of prospective customers. The first engine noises to be presented are those of a turbinique auxiliary-powered supercharger. The supercharger was set up and operated independent of a reciprocating engine. The supercharger's intake manifold was equipped with two Stromberg 97 carburetors. Both carburetors were set with their throttles in the open position. In order to demonstrate the charge's instant response capability on the maximum compressor load, the compressor discharge was not restricted. This allows the compressor to do the maximum amount of work. The turbo compressor's acceleration will naturally be greater under any other conditions of compressor loading. The supercharger test follows. Okay. Hold on. Like, can you imagine pulling up to a stoplight and you're in your Chevy or your your 440 Plymouth? Yeah. And you just look over and you just 
you're like revving your engine and yeah. the guy goes, hold on. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Run. <laughs> 100,000 RPM. Yeah. Wow. It sounds insane. It is insane. And as absolutely bonkers as this thing was, it sold well. I just, I can't get over the fact that we're allowed to do this. Yeah. This well, is, not anymore. This is, well, of course not, because everybody's a pussy. But back then, if you wanted to, yeah. you could order a rocket-powered turbocharger yes. for your car. Yes. We need to do an episode of all the crazy shit you used to be able to get through mail order. Yeah. Write that shit down. We are going to do that. We got to do yeah. an episode Shotguns, of mail order insanity. Because this is crazy. Right? Could you imagine, like, <laughs> Henry, it's time for dinner. Sorry, hold on. I just think I can't hear you. This thing is spinning at 100,000. Like air raid siren. Imagine his Betty running out into the garage wondering what the fuck is going yeah. on as she's trying to make an yeah. apple pie. Yeah. With a little Johnny with his erector fuel. set. Yes. Oh, my God. God. So this was the time of magazine ads and handwritten testimonials. And we have this letter proving the fact that these things sold pretty well. One Dr. Gerald Guest, a chiropractor out of Arizona, because he always had to say, you know, Gerald Guest, chiropractor, or some title, you yeah. know, so you can really believe this yeah, guy's yeah. testimonial. His uh, uh, authority. Dear Mr. Middlebrooks, I wish to inform you of the success I have had with the superchargers I purchased in October of 1963. Some guy had a 356, kind of looked like an upside-down bathtub. I fired that turbo turbocharger <laughs> thing up. That guy is... <laughs> Is a molten piece of steel 9,000 yeah. yards behind me. The first installation was on a 1963 Plymouth 426 cubic inch wedge engine. Whew. A speed of 146 mile per hour with an ET of 10.21 seconds was most gratifying after the standard performance of 116 miles per hour and 12.64 seconds. Oh, that's still fucking fast. 12 My seconds. second installation was on a 289 cubic inch Studebaker engine with equally good results of 132 miles per hour in 11.7 seconds. Okay. Is this is this possible because a lot of these engines back in the day are already low compression? Yeah, I think so. Because everything's eight to one compression anyway, right? Because right? yes. you couldn't put this on. Oh, you would blow the heads off the motor. Of most modern cars. Yes, exactly. My third and present installation is a 1963 Volkswagen not quite completed yet. It has been my experience that all your advertisements in regard to flexibility of transfer of unit from vehicle to vehicle is true, as well as instant phenomenal horsepower. Yeah, this thing is awesome. How do I get my hands on one of these things? <sighs> yeah. Here. How much did you think they were, when you saw and you were looking at them, how much are they? If you want to, if you want to. Um, they're not super cheap, especially back in the day. We'll get to another product offered um and talk about pricing here in a bit because okay. a, a rocket powered supercharger is insane it's, it's literally insane but our intrepid engineer Gene, and we're put we're putting them in our cars yeah. in suburban neighborhoods oh, yeah, yeah. while while the guy, the guy across the street is pushing his little lawnmower going <laughs> hey how's it going the other guy looks out from under the hood oh i'm fine how are you <laughs> oh i'm pretty good yeah bible study was great oh yeah what did you learn oh well first corinthians something or another <laughs> give me a break this is what are we doing how are we doing this how is this allowed oh my god how did the how did somebody not get reported? Why was it? If you were doing this now, uh -huh. if you, let, let's say you're in, what is it, Sacramento, where you're not even allowed to work on your car? Could you imagine <laughs> working on this and the police show up? What are you doing? Oh, I don't know. What are those? That's four gallons of uh, rocket fuel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come with me, sir. Arrested, jail, go to jail. Oh you're going God. to jail. You're going to go to jail. Right to jail, right away. You're driving too fast, jail. Slow, jail. Chris. This was tame. This was no, it's not tame. This is not tame. Just wait. This is just tame. Our intrepid engineer, Gene, the inventor, he wasn't done. This was just the beginning for Turbonique. Okay. Rather than forcing air into an old conventional engine that's heavy, iron, pre-existing, why not just harness the rotational torque of the rocket turbine directly? Yes. Enter the company's next hairbrain invention. The T28 drag axle. Ooh, I like the name. The drag axle was essentially a center differential section for a quick change rear end with an integrated gear reduction unit spun by a standalone rocket turbine. How is this engaged? Is it got a clutch or yes, something? Yes, it okay. has a clutch. So when not in use, 
just just <laughs> I'm just imagining bear with there's me. a guy in his car. You don't have to imagine. You don't have to imagine. Just wait. Okay. okay? Bear with okay. me here and picture this. When not in use, the car could operate like normal, driving under conventional engine power sent through the drive shaft to the rear end, right? And your center differential section is what this unit had. But when the compact turbine was ignited, the thermaline solid rocket fuel produced 60,000 RPM in this model, reduced by an integrated gearbox to produce a tire-melting 1,000 auxiliary horsepower. It's a first hybrid. This is insane. That is okay. On did par. they make? Did they make the rear end? So it was an entire rear end assembly. No, it's the center section. They recommend using a one ton Ford truck. I axle. bet that they do. <laughs> so how does this? How, how does this clutch work? Are you just? You have like a? You're just sitting there. You just. No, it's a it's a Sprague brand one way clutch. So basically, either your power is coming through the drive shaft like normal and it just operates or yep. this thing spins it and it's just one way. So you know what I mean? When you're, when your drive shaft is running, so it's always the turbine isn't spinning. Right? right. But when the turbine's spinning, then it engages. Wow. I was thinking some like massive levers. Nope. nope. Just, you like, just you have to like hit this? the switch, Chris. All you have to do is hit wow. the switch. And that power is on par with top fuel professional drag cars making uh, the power at the same time on methane. How is this not allowed? Methane, on, on nitromethane. How is this allowed? How how are you not? I'm imagining it's always a dude, the cop, behind the billboard, on the outside of town. Dude. And there's a little sign, welcome to Sunny Vista, uh-huh. population 976. Uh-huh. And you're sitting there and you're, you're eating your donut and drinking your little coffee and you when you're there with your partner. Yep. And, and this car goes by. <laughs> literally smoking the tires oh yes 11s for miles yes what do you just what do you do so the most crazy part about i'm imagining it's like in top gun where he the sonic boom and he spills his coffee (laughs) yes it's the it's but it's the car version of that yeah as you're sitting there behind the billboard where it's welcome to sunnyvale california (laughs) the most beautiful town ever well Flying by the tower. Oh, my God. This is amazing. So this whole system. Is there any cars that still have it installed? Yes. Oh, my God. I they will. found one. I recently. need to see this. They I found need to... one fully intact that had been parked in oh like 1970. I need to experience this. How do I experience this, Jake? So what's great and crazy about this thing, the entire unit that added 1,000 horsepower. Yeah. Keep in mind, it adds 1,000 so horsepower. So you've got 400 horsepower already. Sure. Yeah, great. Holy shit. It only weighed 100 pounds. What? It's teeny. How did it survive? Well, I mean, it's gear reduction and everything else. I guess, but holy shit. Yeah, it's it's teeny. Here's, um, damn it, I wish I could show you pictures Now, better. we'll put it up on the, we'll, we'll but, add the photos. Yeah, People but do you see, see what I'm looking at? It's the rear differential. and It's, it's just, fucking massive. Yeah, but it, it's hollow. It's 100, 100 pounds. Wow. Incredible. Well, it's just a turbocharger, essentially. It's with- basically a turbocharger attached to your rear end. Okay. Does it get crazier than this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's us. I, dude, I'm going to have a heart attack by the end of this episode. <laughs> so, with no fuel metering, the system was either on or off by a way of, like, a fuel shutoff solenoid. Okay? I wonder if Dom would really like one of these setups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he would. Okay. You got to be able to do, if you have some wrinklies on there, you got to be able to do wheelies all day. So the all tires, day. I don't know if I mentioned this later, but the tires at the time couldn't handle the power. No, So you would be running like nine second passes doing a burnout the entire time. You're probably not turning the switch of. on until you're like halfway down the True. thing. You're right. So one enthusiastic early guinea pig. From How many Brooks, people did this kill? Did this kill anybody? Um, I mean, come on. Yeah. No. Maimed, yes. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. So one enthusiastic early guinea pig for the Middlebrook's new drag axle was Zach Reynolds of North Carolina. And if Zach's surname sounds familiar, it's because he was, in fact, the heir to the R.J. Reynolds cigarette empire. He was a stereotypical playboy and an adrenaline junkie. He also had the means to purchase one of these and had Gene install it. Can you tell me how much they are? Do you know? Yes, I do. Okay, I need to know how much these things are. How much do they cost? Uh, $4,000. In today's dollars? No. Oh, in, in $1956? Yes. yes. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Getting out the inflation calculator? No, it's, I, I did it for you later. Okay. all right. Just, just hang on to I'm your just, seat. I'm imagining. Hang like, on to your seat and listen to Mr. Reynolds. 
Okay. 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 So Reynolds, think honey, of like, it's it's a lot of horsepower. Okay. Oh yeah, honey. Just trust me, it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it, yeah. Worth it. <laughs> but you haven't mowed the grass in two months. Well, if, I know I don't have any extra cash. Here's what's great. If you're Zach Reynolds, you're this young playboy. It doesn't even fucking matter. doesn't have a care in the world. He's the heir to the R.J. Reynolds empire. He's I don't even know what R.J. Reynolds is. Every I cigarette on the market right now is basically owned by R.J. Reynolds. Oh, okay. I did not and know that. It has been, yeah. All right. Also, Reynolds Wrap. Oh, yeah, that one I know. Yeah, yeah it's all Reynolds. Yeah. It's a major manufacturer. Actually, in there's a whole story there that I won't go into, but it's in the, when did they really get into it? Like the 80s, there was Philip Morris and there was yep. R.J. Reynolds. Okay. So Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds both were like tobacco. Like every cigarette out there was owned by those two companies. Got it. When tobacco started being looked upon as like bad, like it's not healthy, it's dirty, it's stinky, whatever. Yep. It's interesting because R.J. Reynolds said, okay, we're going to diversify and they basically just do like Reynolds wrap and other materials. Okay. Whereas Philip Morris doubled down yep. and they bought up all of the cigarette companies, all of the liquor companies. And they're like, we're, we're just a, doing We love vice. vice. Exactly. Yeah. So. How's that working out, dicks? <laughs> <laughs> you see it like in, in California now, they're introducing a bill. That's super off topic. Yeah. But if you are 16 years old or younger, yeah. you will never be able to buy cigarettes again. I heard that. Yeah. So they're they're like slowly phasing it out rather just than just doing an outright ban. Slowly phasing it out. To me. Yeah, I don't know. I think you should be able to do it if you want to. But. Agreed. All right. Anyways. So Zach Reynolds. Zach contacts, Reynolds would agree with me. He would. 100% for sure. So he contacts Gene to install a turbinique drag axle under his 1963 Ford Galaxy race car, which he campaigned. God, the Galaxies are cool, man. With the name, the Tobacco King. Ooh, dude, Galaxies are legit cool. Yes. My grandpa had a black Galaxy back in the day. Big, and then my, my dad actually crashed it. Oh, really? Wrapped it around a tree and tore all the skin off his arm and Ooh. tore his ear off and everything else. Ooh. Yeah. You know, so I didn't really write this down here, but this Ford Tobacco King car, was technically still street legal. And this Reynolds, Zach Reynolds, would light the turbinique off while drag racing at stoplights. Yeah, that's my kind of guy. <laughs> right? Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, and even Gene was like, you know, only use this at the track. And you actually was like, regretted giving it to this kid because it gave him a bad name. Yeah. He's like, dude, no, you can't be doing that. And he's like, yep, down Main Street. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Fuck it. So <laughs> I would. I don't know. As, as more, How could you not? If you're driving this thing street legal, you're sitting there and there's a yeah. guy next to you. How do you not hit the just, button? Just stop How me. How do you not hit the button? Stop me. <laughs> as more people got wind of this insane thousand freaking horsepower device, a whole list of famous 1960s drag cars were equipped. The Joey Chitwood Auto Thrill Show installed a unit underneath his Sizzler 66 Chevelle SS. For traveling exhibitions. That's like a famous drag car from the 60s. The Ozark Mule Mustang and the Turbine Dodge Dart followed suit. And here's one clip of one of these ex exhibitionist drag racers from back in the day. Is everybody happy back then? Yes. They had to have been. Ignite like it did one afternoon out here. And ready to go now. On the sideline. Ready to blast off. Are you Is, it, is this video? Music is so great. Oh my God. So you can hear like the oh, running. Yeah. And then it is a rocket. Yeah. As it's it goes a rocket. By. Yeah. It's a rocket. And it sure is. So all these Honestly, cars are using this thing. Cooler than nuclear missiles. Gotta say. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. So all these cars are using. This you know what thing. they didn't have in Soviet Russia? Turbo Neek. Turbo, Turbo Neek. They didn't have rocket no, power cars. Hell no. Go capitalism. So perhaps the most memorable car to ever use the drag axle, though, was Turbo Neek's own demo car. So, Chris, <laughs> if you're going to build a dedicated drag car using a compact, self-contained, rear axle-mounted rocket turbine, what vehicle would you pick? Uh, what year? Gene oh, Middlebrooks. my God. Real, a Corvair? Black Widow as it became known, was a completely gutted Volkswagen Beetle. Okay, okay. With a turbonique drag axle completely replacing the Volkswagen engine and transaxle. Because it's just a race car. Yeah. They get it up to the line. That's all it needs. 
And it's, it's such like a, a contrast to what people are used to seeing exactly. out of something, too. And it's painted completely flat black. And it was a traveling exhibition of the company's technology, driven by one Roy Mr. Pitiful Drew. Mr. Pitiful. Out of Kansas City. <laughs> Apparently, Mr. Pitiful was a song back in the day. Okay. And this dude, um, he took it on as kind of his stage name. Okay. So it was, however, destroyed when during an exhibition run at Tampa, when halfway down the track at 183 miles per hour, the tires finally hooked up and it lifted the front wheels off the ground, sending the car airborne. Yeah, I would think so. 183 in the miles an hour and it just starts lifting. And that's a pitiful circumstance. Yeah, the car tumbled end over end countless times through the finish line, laying in a crumpled heap. What was the ET? <laughs> it, it was still like under I 10 bet it was. yeah now just about any company today would spend countless dollars and efforts trying to cover up such a catastrophe or distance themselves from a terrible wreck of their product yeah it comes back to the cowardice of today yes. but not turbonique no double down 1968 open that magazine full page spread prominently featuring the photo took at the end with the crumpled remains of the black widow and driver Roy standing beside it with a beaming smile. Give me a break, man. Jesus. The stats listed its amazing accomplishments, including a mid-nine-second quarter-mile run previous to that. So in addition to the drag axle itself, several other units were produced using the same concept. So you have a rocket turbine-powered gearbox that just turns the shaft, and it's super compact. Yeah, it's easy. Various applications. What about a Turbonique speedboat? Turbonique helicopter, or my personal favorite, the Turbonique powered drag motorcycle. Cup. <laughs> okay, so this. Did you stuff... see the photo I sent you earlier? This is my favorite. Oh my God, look at how simple that is. Yes. That is dope. We'll have to put that up on these the... units are so small and so foreign looking that this is a hard tailed bobber looking drag bike that looks like it's straight out of some future alternate reality sci fi. Yeah, that's I was so I was thinking of my book that I'm writing and looking at this going, that looks like the dude. Yeah, this looks like the the yeah. antagonist. Wow, it existed and it still exists. It's probably, like I said, my favorite Turbonique creation. That one it's, right there is fantastic, even though it's really I haven't read or heard a single mention of that in any other story that covers Turbonique. Uh, it was actually recently brought out to the all British rally motorcycle event in 2013 which is apparently a giant party, as the only video I could find of this thing was someone using the exhaust flame to light a bonfire. Five, four, three, two, one. Besides the aforementioned product offerings from the crazy Florida-based mail-order company that was Turbonique, you could also buy a full-fledged standalone rocket turbine. Just You could just do it and put it on whatever you want. Yeah, as in the same devices the military uses for JATO engines on C-130s. Yeah, why not? It, I, so I apologize for another tangent, but do you know what JATO is? No, I have no idea. Oh, 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 oh I'm excited. <laughs> okay. JATO okay. stands for Jet Assisted Takeoff. Okay. It was developed by the U.S. military around the same time period for use on cargo planes to take off from shorter runways than would otherwise be possible. In practice, they are literally bolt-on rocket turbines that you'd put on the side of massive cargo planes, one of the most famous of which was named Fat Albert. Because these things you could load up tons and tons of cargo. Yeah. And these turbines are mounted, usually they had like at least four on each side. And they were mounted at a 45-degree backward and downward angle, providing instant Just, forward thrust yeah. as well as additional lift. Yeah. That if you sense. watch videos of these things, it's wild. So when you watch a large aircraft take off, think of like at the airport, there's a natural path that you expect the plane to take, a nice gradual upward arc, right? A JATO-equipped plane gets up to speed, and about halfway down the runway, all hell 
breaks loose as multiple fireballs shoot out of the ass end and the craft unnaturally just rockets into the air. And that's this it's absolutely technology. wild. A specific requirement was to reduce the ground roll of the B-29 with a gross load of 140,000 pounds to one half that normally required. Solution and necessary equipment were to be supplied as quickly as possible. Rocket power was the accepted solution. Or rocket turbines. Yeah, incredible. So yeah, Turbonique was basically selling these things to the general public. For what purpose, you may ask? Who gives a shit? Whatever you want, Chris. <laughs> whatever you want. There are accounts of guys mounting them on snowmobiles. Yes. Boats. Yes. Cars. Yes. And most famously, go-karts. Yes. That's right. The official 1966 Turbonique catalog shows rocket turbine-equipped go-karts featuring official quarter-mile time slips with elapsed times in the 8.8 second with speeds over 160 miles an hour. So I thought that, like, life expectancy was because we had hot, more medical technology. And it sounds like we just, because we don't have these. Dude. Quote. This is from the catalog. Okay. Note, the above card, which is equipped with a T21A engine, is considered unsafe for quarter-mile competition as pictured. The thrust-to-weight ratio is such that speeds over 160 miles per hour are reached within four seconds. Jesus. So it's a warning telling you not to do it because but, of but, how awesome it is. <laughs> so such advertisements, a.k.a. warnings, worked well because such people, such as one Captain Jack McClurg took things even further. He was known as a daredevil who would travel the country racing go-karts at exhibitions and national racetracks. So prior to Turbonique, he would have these small go-kart. Think of a 1960s go-kart. That's literally what it is. We're talking okay. like four-inch tires, just junk, one-inch steel tube yep. frame, and he had just like big motorcycle engines or something he'd put on them sure. and race cars. Yeah, fun. Cool. So Jack then took not one, but two Turbonique T21 Alpha rocket turbine engines, mounting them to a tiny open cart, which he would then pilot to a speed of, how fast would you dare go on a go-kart? Okay, I got scared on my Vespa at 80. Let me show you a picture of said go-kart. I mean, 80 is quick. I mean, what does a, what does a go-kart go on... Okay, so can you even see that? Thing? I can see. Jesus it's, it's absolutely teeny, right? Yeah. 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 I saw it. We're okay. good. Yeah. Um, so it's you, I, you, the speed doesn't logically make sense to me because you picture yourself in a go kart. It's short wheelbase, it's darty, right? Yeah. You really don't have any control no. at that point. The control is provided by the inertia of you continuing to go forward. He went. Over 240 miles per hour on a go-kart with two Turbonique rocket turbine Completely engines. Completely legal. Yeah, because just, he just took it down to the local drag strip. Because guess what? Who are you endangering? Only yourself. Only yourself. Well, everyone in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Chris. 240 miles an hour in a go-kart. The high water mark for Turbonique. That's one expensive go-kart. Yes. Yeah. The high water mark for Turbonique was when an up-and-coming Montana two-wheel daredevil, quote, motorcycle daredevil Evil Knievel, plans to soon jump the Grand Canyon with his Turbonique-equipped Norton Atlas Scrambler. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're jumping things now. Now things are getting serious. However, the stunt never happened. And furthermore, Turbonique, the company, started to unravel. As it turned out, many of these products had a tendency to, well, explode. You think? The problem was the fuel. Thermoline, as Gene and Turbonique marketed it, was a chemical compound known as propylene nitrate. It was actual rocket fuel that was used at the time. It's basically what he was doing at his day job for the rocket aerospace company. Same fuel, okay? Yeah. 
Propylene nitrate is what's known as a monopropellant. It creates its own oxygen for combustion, which is why it was used in rockets that travel outside the Earth's atmosphere, right? You don't need any atmosphere or added oxygen. Yeah, there's not much oxygen in space. No. Uh, And by the way, as far as chemicals are concerned, this stuff is downright nasty. Bad for you, don't breathe it? If Well, first of all, if it encountered water and then was introduced to a porous metal, it would explode without ignition. Okay. It was not shelf-stable, and it was extremely toxic. Mm-hmm. It was actually How many garages were blown up? I didn't... There's no record of that. There's got to be a few. But this stuff was actually discontinued uh, by NASA and the military as an actual they don't rocket use this. Too volatile. Yep, too volatile. And keep in mind, this is something that Turbonique allowed you to buy by the gallon through the mail. It's amazing. It's amazing. What a day. What a time. When used in jeans devices, it, quote, had a habit of pooling inside the turbo casing when you backed off the throttle. Now, keep in mind what I mentioned before. There actually isn't any throttle at all on these things. It was basically an on-off switch. So if you're using the rocket turbine and release the go button, for lack of a better term, this rocket fuel would end up pooling in the turbine housing. Just like residual fuel. Yes. Then, if, for instance, you got your nerve back halfway down the track and hit the button again, cool. the unit would fire the spark plugs that are integral to the system and ignite the excessive pool of fuel and turn the entire thing into a bomb. Ooh. Remember how I mentioned that someone put one of these things on a snowmobile? Yeah. It was actually the Articat factory racing team. Have you, been to, have you ever been to snowmobile drags? Yes. It is insane. Yes. You've never seen anything accelerate as hard out of a drag strip Yes. Than a snowmobile. Because it's all contact patch. It is nuts. They are it so is fast. Wild. If you want to test how fast something can be, you want to test your metal and how, and, if, and your grip of your hands. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yes. Have you ever been on a fast snowmobile? Yes. It is terrifying. You hold on. You, you hold, literally you, have to hold on. Yeah. Have you fallen off? Well, not a fast one. It sucks. Oh, I bet. It sucks really bad. <laughs> it hurts a lot. Did yours have a Turbonique... Uh, no, rocket turbine no, on no, it? No, it did not. No, okay. Well, Articat. some slide throttles and other cool Ooh. things, but they're all slide throttle. Well, it's, they're CV. Well, they are, yes, they're CV and slide throttle, actually. Yeah. You're right. Slide yeah, throttle is yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this was Articat's factory racing team that put one of these on their snowmobile. And um, the machine ended up blowing up catastrophically, injuring the rider along with spectators. Mm. Not good. Not good. But the danger of the products wasn't even what did the company in in the end. It's people had personal responsibility. We understand if we're buying rockets, we're not going to sue you. That was never a problem. There was yeah. no lawsuits against Turbonique. Well, that's the product of the time, I think. Yes. Do you know what there was lawsuits for? Mail fraud. What? Now, so what do they say? They didn't get it and then get their when money back? I first read this. I felt really bad for Gene Middlebrook. Yeah. The founder and thought this was a case of like predatory litigation, right? Like they're just trying to sue this guy. You see, Turbonique had a ton of orders coming in and Gene had a hard time keeping up with them. And since it was a mail order operation, customers would need to mail a check into the company, wait for it to be cashed, then wait for the product to arrive in the mail. But Can you imagine just. Oh, coming the, home from work and just being like, you can't track a package. No, there's no box. There's yeah. no box. There's no box. And then there's a box. There's a little wooden oh, crate. Oh, 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 you wouldn't need a wooden crate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, but, sorry, Jim. I'm not coming into work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, since Gene was struggling filling production orders, he was using customer money to pay to manufacture and fill past orders. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. Furthermore, there was a sense of false advertising now the rockets totally did or i'm sorry rocket turbines totally did everything they said they would we, we proved that these yes. things are ridiculous but forever for example the uh the infamous drag axle was available in basically three different options you could buy it in three different ways one was fully built by turbonique ready to be bolted into the car and all of the functioning cars that don't tell me they gave you a kit so you could put it all, together. All yourself. of the functioning cars that use drag axles that we talked about use this option, you know, where basically Turbonique would just deliver it to you fully built, and they were far from cheap. So I mentioned the turnkey setup costs four thousand six hundred and ninety-five dollars for the in, for the drag axle for the ready-to-go drag axle yep. in nineteen sixty-eight. And so while we can calculate what that is today in today's money. 
it makes more sense to just tell you what else you could have bought with that instead at the time. Ah, I like that. Right? Because, you know, prices go up, but yep. then other stuff also goes up. So a better direct comparison is instead of buying the Turbonique drag axle, you could buy a brand new top of the line 1968 Boss 429 Mustang. Holy shit. It was within dollars of the same price. Wow. The other two options to buy a Turbonique drag axle were do-it-yourself kits. Give me a... <laughs> oh, again. You would receive... How is this allowed? Parts that required assembly. Now, the brochure all stated that these kits could be assembled with nothing more than an average mechanical know-how and some simple hand tools that you have at home, right? Well, crescent wrench so, and So, you know what? I'm going to save a bunch of money and get option number two where it's partially built, right? Yeah. That's what I'll do, and then yeah. I'll build it. Yeah, sure you will. This was far from the truth, Chris. In reality, what customers received was a little more than raw castings, requiring additional milling, oh. additional hardware, and way more work and know-how than was reasonable for any at-home mechanic. Yeah. Have you ever seen, you? have you ever gone to, like, estate sales and seen old dudes' toolboxes? Yeah. It is amazing. Like I go to my like my grandpa's place. Okay, going to his garage. And you Which look way are you the, going with this? I'm just saying they didn't have much. Yeah. Okay. That's they're that's very what I was simple tools. You had a hammer. You had a couple files. You had a hammer. You had a speed wrench. Yep. And you, you ratchet sockets. Maybe don't really have any order to them. No, the, the, like a ratchet wasn't really a thing. Yeah, you much. just had your they, box, but wrenches. it was like a 20 inch ratchet. Like, click, click, click. Oh, right. Yes. You know, like it wasn't really a thing. <clears> and then you had then you had screwdrivers and hammers. Yes, yeah, so and advice. An, an other article that Nobody's I read milling anything. about this basically added up the cost of the machinery you would need in order to actually make one of these kits viable, and it was ridiculous. They're yeah. like, you need a twenty-inch, one-inch lathe, you need a massive industrial drill press, you need like you know all these micrometers and specific tools. Did it say that you would need some no, of this additional basic hand tools, Chris? Basic hand tools at home. So in 1970, Clarence Eugene Gene Middlebrook Jr. was charged with 21 counts of federal mail fraud. He made the odd decision to waive all legal representation, instead stating that he preferred to argue his own case, as he knew it better than any lawyer, Chris. That's never a good idea. In the end, Gene was found guilty on 16 of those counts of federal mail fraud, excuse me, and was sentenced to two years in prison and a $4,000 fine. This is all in 1970. His sentence was eventually commuted to five years of probation, but he still attempted to appeal the decision on more than one occasion. The first of which he stated that he was actually mentally unwell during the original trial and never should have been allowed to represent himself, Chris. Uh -huh. When that appeal was completely thrown out, stating that the judge actually told him several times not to represent Don't himself. Don't do this. Don't You're do not, this. Yeah. He went back and filed another appeal stating that, you know what? He had, in fact, attempted to return customers' money that weren't happy. But you know who it was? It was his secretary that was at oh, fault, Chris. Yes. She must have stole all the funds that I had set aside to refund. Mm, stupid secretaries. This, Always too, doing bad was things. proven completely false. He just made it up, yeah. and the appeal was denied. Poor Stephanie got accused and dragged through the mud. Yeah. I think it was Barbara. Yeah, probably. Barbara. <laughs> I think it was, actually. Yeah, she took her Rolodex home, and that was probably about it. She didn't have any money. Yeah, no. Now, from what I can make out from the court records, he would have been better off simply paying the fine and staying on probation, because after the failed appeals, he actually ended up doing jail time, probably having something to do with the fact that he flat-out lied to the court. The Turbonique company was no more. What happened to the patents? Well, anybody, anybody buy those? Um, no, because by the time I think this all shaked out, also consumer regulations were coming down and mm -hmm. people were like, you can't do this. You can't do anything. You can't do this, Chris. People this are blowing themselves up. Waste. They're getting maimed. Yeah, stay at home. Watch football. So do nothing. What few examples of these crazy machines still exist today are coveted by collectors and bring serious money if they ever come up for sale. Mm. Uh, as for Gene, he never left the state of Florida and never again attempted to market anything in the rocket or automotive space. He became the owner of a small resort in Florida and died in 2005. Mm. As for Thermoline, the trade name for the crazy rocket fuel you could order through the mail... 
The trademark lapsed years ago and is now supposedly a brand of weight loss pill. Thermoline. A sad, far cry from that which it was. True. Damn. Do we have any? There's nothing in comparison. Nothing. There's like nothing. That's why I said this is craziness, Chris. There's nothing that anybody can buy. Like maybe you would argue nitrous oxide, but that's such a safe, it's, yeah, proven the only thing you're doing system. Is blow up your ego when you it blows up your motor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's about this, it. This was wild. Yes, Absolutely I'm gonna have to. Wild. Definitely gonna dig deeper into this on my own. I hope you guys enjoy this. I know I did. Thank you for putting it together very Absolutely. much. I, I know you put a ton of work into these. I did. This, and it this shows. took a bit of time. Yes. Uh, I don't have any idea what's going on later. So we'll just pretend that I do and say we that it's awesome. We will have news after the weekend. Yeah. And then, coming back on Tuesday. And after that, other things. Other things. Yes, other things. Many other things. Many things. Hope you guys have a wooden crate on your doorstep. <laughs> on that note, we will see you guys next time. Take care. Take care.